Welcome to the series. It's time for episode 120 of the Slump Buster podcast. On today's episode, Kyle and myself have a detailed discussion on Kyle Shanahan and his future with the 49ers, give you an update on what you could expect from Kyle's NBA power rankings, and give our week 10 NFL preview. But before we do that, folks, I'm going to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their Nitro Cold Brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their Mammoth Blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their Hibiscus Teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code SLUMP, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump guys don't be a chump use promo code slump and get yourself a case today all right y'all it's time for the episode juju talk sports count better episode 120 let's get it let's bust the slump and let's enjoy All right, Kyle, the first thing I got to get us started on here, the Purdue game. Man, Michigan State, Mel Tucker had that team 8-0, and and it all came to a screeching halt because of the Purdue Boilermakers. I, did True Breeze give him a pep speech this time? What, what happened? How did this occur? Looked up and I saw that their quarterback had over 500 yards passing, which I didn't mention Purdue has one of the best passing games in the nation, but again, really? Twice within four weeks? Oh, but not only that. They travel to uh, the shoe this week to take on Ohio State. And uh, I don't ask for very much from the football gods or whatever is out there superstitiously. I am very much concrete in evidence. I am a, uh, a sports god agnostic where we don't know if there are gods, but we can never know if there are gods. But I don't ask for much. But if there are gods out there who dictate the results of football games, just let Purdue win this one. I don't ask for much, but please let Purdue beat Ohio State this week just to make this magical story of a Purdue team that has beaten a top five team now twice in the same year. They've done it in back-to-back weeks potentially now if they can beat Ohio State. If you can make it three in one year and have them win the Big Ten and then have them go play Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, all for them to play a meaningless bowl game against like Arkansas or something. Just please let that happen. In terms of how the upset went down, who knows? Purdue works in mysterious ways, right? Uh, They do have a really good wide receiver and David Bell, who might be rising on some draft boards. Now, it's going to be a deep wide receiver class, according to our draft guy, Blake Jude, over at the uh, Take It Easy podcast. But uh, I think part of that's just because Chris Olave, the Ohio State wide receiver, would have gone to the draft last year and he came back. But David Bell, really good wide receiver for Purdue. He had, I think, like 210 yards in that game. I said, I think we, when we talked college football playoff last week, I also said that Michigan had no chance of making the playoff because they needed two Michigan State losses for that to happen. Well, you've got the one. Ohio State will deliver you the second one, which means Michigan is back in it. You take out Michigan State, you take out Wake Forest this week, you throw Michigan back in there. So we went from having eight teams that can make the playoff to now having seven teams that can make the playoff and Notre Dame like seven and a half if you want to really get wild and propose a scenario where Notre Dame makes it to the playoff. But even still, congratulations to Purdue. You want me to explain the Purdue game? It just 
happens. The Purdue game comes into our lives every two or three years. This year, it's happened twice. Fun stat on that that I'll close off with there to show the Purdue game works in mysterious ways. It's never happened before. There's never been an unranked team beating two top five teams in the same year where they were double-digit underdogs and won both of those games by double digits. Has never happened in the 150-year history of college football. It is kind of funny. You mentioned them winning by double digits. They're not just winning these games. They're actually going in and kicking ass during these games. I believe the football god you have to pray to to make that happen is either Horus or Anubis. I might be wrong there, but you might want to check in with either one of those two. Uh, (laughs) Man, so yeah, Michigan, like you said, they're technically back in it, but I mean, it all comes down to can you beat Ohio State? Jim, can you do it? Can you go out there and beat Ohio State? Just do it for the 49 Niners fan in me that cheered you on in the past. Speaking of that, uh, I do miss you, Jim, because we're currently talking about some coaching changes potentially in the 49ers locker room ourselves as uh, Kyle Shanahan's record now matches Chip Kelly's winning percentage. 4-4-4 across the board. And those whispers have started to grow a little bit louder as we lost to Colt McCoy, man. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) You know, you Uh... talk about can Colt McCoy win Cardinals a couple games and Kyler Murray's out absence well if you're playing against this 49ers defense that refuses to tackle people I don't know if you watched that last touchdown the Cardinals scored that was Ito Benjamin just trucking Drake or Patrick I joked that wasn't just Ito Benjamin trucking Drake or Patrick I joked that that is the Cardinals literally trucking the Niners season putting in the ground burying it under dirt because at the best case scenario for this team I'm thinking it's like six or seven wins at this point their three wins on the year are the Bears the Lions and the Eagles, three of the worst teams in the NFC. At least, you know, the Bears, we think of one of the worst teams in the NFC. And even then, no, they are. Just we don't for... need to pretend on that. The, the Bears suck. We don't we don't need to pretend like they're actually kind of good. They're terrible. Yet they have a better playoff chance than the Niners at this point. They still have an opportunity to potentially make it sneak in there because everyone's refusing to take that seven seed by hold. You know, now I think is currently if the season ends the day, I believe the Falcons would be in there with the Vikings trailing. The Vikings have another crazy shootout type game. One of the hardest teams to get a read on, but yes. <laughs> in fact, this entire last weekend of NFL action was one of the wildest that I could have ever expected. Not only did Colt McCoy get a win against the Niners, but you talk about the Jags getting a win against the Bills. You talk about, uh, let's see, Denver. Uh, Denver just absolutely decimating the Cowboys. We'll get more into that one with the game preview. The New York Giants being one game out of the playoffs, despite the fact that they're just absolutely terrible. Yes, exactly. How the New York Giants are still alive. And it's crazy because you look at the AFC, the AFC is so top heavy. There's so many teams that are bouncing around between five and three, five and four, you know, this uh, range of being over 500. The only ones that are eliminated are the bottom half AFC East teams and the bottom half uh, AFC South teams, the West and the North are really just battling each other out for those last couple spots there. I'm so intrigued to see how this kind of like shakes out. I mean, I kept trying to get on that Cincinnati bandwagon, but Cincinnati refuses to let me love them. That's the problem. (laughs) 
I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. They are better than I thought they were, but you're right about the top heaviness of the NFL this year. There's like 10 really good teams and then everyone else we don't really know what to do with. Uh, can a 7-10 and 10 team make the playoffs in the NFC this year? Is that entirely possible? Maybe it will be because there are five good teams in the NFC. There is the Cardinals, the Rams, the Packers, the Buccaneers, and the Cowboys. We're going to let the Cowboys drag along a little bit here, but those four teams are better than the Dallas Cowboys. But we'll put the Cowboys in the mix here because we know they're going to make the playoffs. The Saints are going to make the playoffs by default. And after that, pick a seventh seed. They said that they're going to put a wild card game on Monday Night Football this year. Please let it be the seven and two game so that I don't have to watch it. The NFC seven two matchup. Uh, this is like last year where there were six playoff games. So I decided I'm going to boycott Alex Smith. I refuse to watch Alex Smith play in the playoffs uh, because I know it was a fun story last year, but Alex Smith was the worst quarterback in the NFL last season. Such a hater. Oh my God. Not only that, backups and starters included. He was the worst quarterback in the NFL last year and somehow he was going to play in the playoffs, but then Heineke started the game. But all of that to say, someone's going to get that seventh playoff spot. I thought it could still be the 49ers. I know you're down on them right now and it hasn't been a great season at all. And I don't know. I said this week on Take It Easy on our NFL Monday pod, like I just don't know what you still want from Jimmy G. You know what he is at this point. The season's pretty much a wash. So if you want to aggressively fight for the seventh playoff spot, go ahead and be my guest. Unless you want to argue that the team is so depleted that it would be detrimental to put Trey Lance in behind that offensive line. Maybe you could argue it. I just don't know what you gain at this point by not putting Trey Lance in and letting him feast or famine a little bit. Because potentially, if he's the quarterback you traded three picks to get him for, this doesn't have to be a sacrificing wins to develop the young quarterback. You can technically do both. You can win more games with Trey Lance as your starter and help him develop by getting him game reps. So I know Jimmy G's been good the last two weeks. I think he averaged like 110 passer rating in the last two games, but I just don't know what they gain at this point. I'm also stunned that you guys are thinking about firing Kyle Shanahan at this point because I I felt like a bad coach at this point. You know, it just you kind of have to call a spade a spade. I I disagree on that. Four out of five seasons has a losing year. What other market, what other team does that fly? I mean, Doug Peterson gets fired after winning a Super Bowl. We're talking about keeping a guy for another six years that lost the Super Bowl and has lost the majority of his seasons. I mean, hell, Matt Nagy, say what you want about the guy. He at least gets to the playoffs. Bill O'Brien, say what you want about the guy. He at least got to the playoffs. I would kill right now just to get to the playoffs. In 2017, when Sean McVay got hired, the Rams weren't much better of a team. The Rams were an awful team too when Sean McVay got hired. They're taking over after Jeff Fisher's administration. And same goes for the 49ers when they hired Kyle Shanahan in 2017. Yet you look at the two courses of those franchises where the Rams are and where the Niners are, and they are just in completely polar opposite directions. And you could say, well, the Niners have been injured. The Niners have been injured, yes, more than other teams. But you also have to kind of think to yourself, is it all bad luck? Is it strictly bad luck? Or are we doing something, whether it's in scouting, we're drafting injured guys, or in practice where we're doing things to get guys injured? When you lead the league in injuries by such a significant margin, that's when you start questioning stuff like the coaching staff or the personnel decisions. Big changes have to happen in the Niners at this point. I I think the fans want to see something a little bit more finite. That's interesting because I I would go the other way on that I would say that with the two names that you threw out we know he's not Sean McVay we know he's not as good as Sean McVay and we know he's not as bad as Doug Peterson like we know Kyle Shanahan's somewhere in between there but we don't know exactly where I think 
we don't know that he's not as bad as at some point bill parcel is right on this one you are what your record is Ooh, i vehemently disagree on this one because i feel like that the whole record thing with shanahan is being dragged down because of that one season where they went four and 12 and got nick bosa and like nick mullins was the quarterback i feel like that one year is kind of dragging it all down because if you look at the year before weren't they like six and nine and one or six and ten and something like that and in his first year and then the third year they went to the super bowl so i feel like there was a development somewhere in there that here's the problem though because kyle makes the personnel decisions i know we say that john lynch is more involved as the gm and we give him credit as the gm but kyle makes personnel decisions in 2017 he takes over that team their first major quarterback they acquire isn't jimmy garoppolo it's trading up in the third round to get cj bethard and they think they could get by a year by getting brian hoyer to start off the year that's kyle shannon making that decision you know who is coming out of that 2017 draft oh i don't know patrick mahomes oh i don't know deshaun watson even though he's going through his stuff now and when asked about this in past interviews kyle vehemently said that he didn't even pay attention to those guys in the pre-draft process that he was looking at picking up Kirk cousins in the offseason that was his main plan but jimmy kind of just fell in their lap so you're telling me you just completely ignored two high-end quarterback prospects when you only had brian hoyer on your roster that was the top quarterback on your roster you're not paying attention to the first round quarterbacks when you also have the third pick a third pick that ended up being solomon thomas who's not even on the team anymore okay 2018 happens you have jimmy acl happens that's shitty okay you have to get by with nick mullins and cj bethard we kind of watched that year okay 2019 happens magical year everything comes together for the team the defense is rocking there's still injuries but they're not as pervasive as they were would be in the next couple years 2020 happens injury year from hell that is a tough year for any team to have to deal with but at the same time you're four years into this thing so you expect with the talent on this roster that clearly went to the Super Bowl that there is that whole debate. Hell, is Nick Mullins as good as Jimmy G? Well, we learned that wasn't the case as it would eventually turn out. And that the team could barely get, I, I don't even remember our record was, five wins, six wins, something like that. Either way, bad year. And now this year, now you have guys mostly healthy. I mean, the defensive backs, yeah, that was a weakness coming into the year. But I mean, Bosa's out there, Armstead's out there. Fred Warner hasn't left the field. As far as the offensive side of the ball, Jimmy's been healthy the majority of the year. Debo's been out there. Brandon Ayuk's been out there. Brandon Ayuk's been another storyline of, well, we know how good this guy has been his rookie year and now he can't see the field. What's going on there? Let's ask Kyle Shanahan. Oh, I don't know. And then I th- a thing that's kind of coming to question is just like his body language, his demeanor. Does he want to be the Niners coach anymore? He just doesn't look into it. And I think that that has just been a thing for the fans. It's like, how much leash do you give this guy? Because every other team, if you're not Mike Tomlin, who's at least finishing five hundred every year then why do you just keep gaining the benefit of the doubt because it seems like we never hold Kyle Shanahan accountable but we always hold players accountable you realize in five years and again we're talking about four losing seasons in these five years he has not fired an assistant coach once not a single coach has been accountable on this coaching staff and yes it kind of worked out for him with Robert Sala because people wanted him to fire Sala after this first two years there but you can't tell me it's all a players not executing thing and the coaches don't have a little bit of something to go here now here's what i would say kyle will at least get next year you drafted a rookie quarterback he's gonna get next year regardless of what happens the rest of this year but if they lose next year then screw the six-year extension he's out 
what would be the alternative in that situation? Because the thing that I found interesting about Doug Peterson getting fired, which that one, I, I don't know if it was a true firing because it seemed like he bucked heads with Jeffrey Lurie a bit, but it was just that there wasn't any great backup option available. And in the case of the Dolphins right now, talking about firing Brian Flores, I don't know what that achieves because that Dolphins job is not very desirable. And so I don't know if they could find someone better than Brian Flores even. So for the 49ers, I would just guess what is the backup plan if you do fire Shanahan because it's hard to find a coach I think as good as Shanahan as we talk about teams getting cycled in and out all the time the fact Again, that he's keep saying five as good as Shanahan what does as good as Shanahan mean we know the high-end potential is getting to a Super Bowl but at this point Colin Coward brings up this great point if you're in sales the best thing to do when hiring a new salesman is to take out the outlier years at this point the Super Bowl is the outlier everything else yeah, yeah. is what we can assume that Kyle Shanahan is, what What should our expectation be? Are we supposed to be, okay, we'll go to a Super Bowl and lose every four years, we deal with four losing seasons in between, and we'll just kind of deal with it? You asked, I like, what ask is what the, the backup plan there? I don't know what yeah. the backup plan is there. I'm sure there's going to be a flavor of the month. There's going to be a, some new hot head coach that comes out there. But how you look at something like, and we'll question one day how good Matt LaFleur is, but I mean, Matt LaFleur too, another Kyle Shanahan disciple has lost what, six, seven games in the last three years. Again, I compare him to Sean McVay. You know, he's doing well. Kevin Stefanski still comes from like that coaching tree. He's doing well with the Cleveland Browns organization. Uh, you have a lot of coaches that use Kyle Shanahan's scheme and are using it better than Kyle Shanahan's at this point. Yeah. Now, even with a more talent depleted roster, I mean, the Jets have one less win than the 49ers do right now. And that's saying with Matt LaFleur's younger brother is their OC. Yeah, this is the really complex question about this, which is what Shanahan brings is being a really smart offensive coach. And that's the reputation that he's had for all these years. And there's so many teams that I think if Shanahan were to get fired would be lining up to hire Shanahan for better or for worse. Could not work out, but for better or for worse, the fact that other teams would want to hire Shanahan suggests that he's at least better than one of these like coaches that gets four years and is out and then becomes basically like Leslie Frazier. Didn't Adam Gase be one of those coaches? If you fire him, he'll get a coaching job next. That is true. I don't know if he was someone who he necessarily deserved to give him the credit for because he went three and out with the Dolphins. I'll tell you this. It's been there Uh, longer. Kyle Shanahan seeming more like a Matt Nagy with a cool hat. That's really what it's starting to come down to. Is that what Doug Peterson is? Doug Peterson is just Matt Nagy with a cooler head of hair, I guess. That seems to be kind of what his game is. That's the barometer of a coach. Coach. You're either Matt Nagy, but you have to have some sort of extra attire change there, I guess. Yeah. He's, he's Zach Taylor with more drip is basically what you're seeing right now. Zach Taylor at this point is having more success than Kyle Shanahan with worse. That I don't know. I don't know if that one's true. Cause coming into this year, Zach Taylor had a worse record than Adam Gase as a head coach. Listen, when you're four, four, four in your winning percentage, let's say that doesn't get better this year. And then let's say they have another mediocre year because you're starting a newer quarterback in Trey Lance, you know, who's still wearing the system. So you, we finish under 500 there. You realize, how long it's going to take him to dig out of that hole to just get over 500 as a coach 
Well, is that's that almost as bad as going zero and seventeen like Dan Campbell and trying to dig your way out of that hole? Well, is that the expectation? Is the expectation that your career coaching record should be above five hundred? Because that's not necessarily how yes. I measure success in coaches, but maybe that's that's a bar that the 49ers have set or 49ers fans have set. I don't know exactly. Listen, if you can win a title, I guess that washes it for the most part. But you have to do a lot to get that winning percentage up. And yes, because as nice as the Super Bowl year was, it's hard to get over four losing seasons in there. Four bad seasons, especially when you're raising, this is a thing from a local standpoint, especially when you're raising season ticket prices in your stadium that you can't even win in. They have not <laughs> won a game in Levi Stadium in over a year, man. Isn't so, this the dirty trick of the NFL is that no matter what the product you put out, Jets are still going to sell out their season tickets. This is the dirty trick of the NFL is that you will pay even for bad product, which is kind of weird. <laughs> the only bad thing is even if you fire Kyle, then you have to tell Jed York to go on the coaching search process and Jed York I mean how good is he at doing that I mean he fires Harbaugh has to go get Jim Tom Sula fires Jim Tom Sula has to get Chip Kelly fires maybe Chip Kelly and has Lynch to settle it. for Kyle Shanahan maybe uh, John Lynch <laughs> could do the hiring I guess you, you put John, John Lynch, Lynch isn't in making it past this year because there's oh, gonna be some really? changes Yes. Wow. I'm going to say, let's say they only win one or two more games the rest of the year. Then again, they're going to have to make some changes. Where does that change start? John Lynch, out of here. D'Amico Ryans, out of here. Kyle, we'll give you another year, but we're going to stick you with a veteran defensive coordinator and you guys better figure it out. Because you look at what happened with the Rams. I mean, Sean McVay, similar thing. You know, he's an offensive coordinator. He got stuck with a veteran defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips. That worked out for him his first couple of years. You're going to have some veteran defensive coordinators out there on the coaching market this year. Big Fangio, probably out of Denver. Go scoop him up. Mike Zimmer, probably out of Minnesota. Go scoop him up. Pair him with Kyle Shanahan. And that's just a better situation than... That's another thing. Hiring D'Amico Ryans, a rookie defensive coordinator when you're trying to compete. It just seems so counterintuitive. You talk about the Jimmy G stuff being counterintuitive to trying to compete while also having a first year defensive coordinator was always going to be a bad move by them. Ooh, so this is where I'd like to exit the ship here on this one, which is the part you said at the beginning that we kind of glossed over, which is if you're going to fire the GM, if you're going to fire D'Amico Ryans, and if you're going to assign a defensive coordinator, or tell Kyle who he should hire as a defensive coordinator, does Kyle just look up and say, nah, I'm going I'm to dip out. I'm going to go get if one of If he does, these other then coaches. that's his decision. He walks out on the contract. Great. Jed York, you don't have to pay him. Oh, I, I don't think he that's would That's a self-solving that. problem. I don't think Kyle Shanahan would do that to give up the money. I meant he's like, well, if they're saying these are the terms for you to stay and he says no, then they'll fire him similarly to how Doug Peterson got fired with the Eagles, which that would be shocking if they let those guys draft Trey Lance and then would clear house within a year. That would be really surprising. I agree it would be surprising, but you just can't let this continue to linger. You can't continue to fester if you you're unsure of his ability to be a strong head coach in the league. Offensive play caller, offensive coordinator, sure. Kyle Shanahan shown to be that. But as a head coach, he's been underwhelming. And I, I have a hard time seeing him as a motivator now. The fact that you got embarrassed at home and you've continuously got embarrassed at home for a calendar year, it's a huge indictment on him. And there is no way that they should have lost that game like they did. The fact that he's not much of a defensive coaching presence or can go up to D'Amico and tell him what to do. Josh Norman gets kicked out of the game and he, he went up to him and is like, or I would have liked Josh Norman get back in that game, but I was okay with them sitting in the half. So you're letting your defensive coordinators run the show when your defense coordinators have shown they can't even make adjustments throughout the game. That's not head coach, man. That's offensive coordinator 
coordinator who's in a head coaching position. And I'm increasingly dissatisfied with it. If they sneak into the playoffs, great. But that's just putting a Band-Aid on a geyser of a wound. Wow, this sounds like Bears level of dysfunction from you guys. And I didn't even think about that. I thought things were going, like they weren't going great, but I didn't realize you guys were experiencing Bears level of dysfunction over there in San Francisco. It's just the way that the media talks about it. The Bay Area media, aside from one beat reporter, Grant Cohn, who thankfully I've had on the show, is the only one who really comes at the Niners aggressively and hard on this one. You know, you talk about Chicago where everyone's just like expectations culture. Which you could say the follies of being a win now high expectations culture or high expectations fan base, but at least have standards. I, I think if you lose standards, then that's where as a franchise, you get into these continuous death spirals of being pathetic, like the Browns or the Lions or insert the Dolphins mediocrity year <laughs> after year. But it also comes from making horribly bad decisions in certain places, which I don't know if the 49ers have had so far. I don't know if like Trey Lance is going to be a bust which i don't think that's going to be a look total at these draft picks man yet. 2017 but. solomon thomas reuben foster 2018 mike mcglinchey who knows if he even gets another couple years there yeah, he's fine he's 20, fine player 2019 i'm not giving you credit for nick bosa why should i give you credit for <laughs> nick bosa <laughs> you know what about that, fred warner he was fred a third warner, round pick fine years. well let's talk about just their 2021 picks okay trey lance that's a whole other situation i'm okay with you sitting him but second round aaron banks been uh, inactive the majority of the year ambry thomas been inactive majority of the year when you need cornerback help and you can't even start the rookie quarterback you drafted that's a problem trey sermon barely seen the field this year aside from when people have been injured in front of him your top four picks haven't even really played this year that's a problem when you're a win now team help 2020 javon kinwa out for the year who knows if he's gonna be a bust you traded away deforest buckner to get him mm -hmm. brandon Ayuk. I told you about the troubles and oddities of his situation this year. Dante Pettis, they traded up for him in the second round the previous year. He didn't even make it past his third year on the team. Joe Williams, 2017, third round pick, running back out of Utah, trade up to get him off the team in a year. It has fallen You have to start holding people accountable. And a lot of these are Kyle Shanahan's guys that he is just swung and missed on. And I think that there has to be some sort of tangible change after five years. Maybe You've given up five happen. years, man, and four of those seasons have been bad. Maybe this is going to happen here because if if you say Lynch is already gone, then I, Shanahan doesn't have. A, if Shanahan does stay after Lynch, then the new GM is going to fire him within a year because the new GM is going to pick his own coach. So yeah, that's I, the only I, thing I have question on. Who would step up? Probably Adam Peters. They've talked about moving Adam Peters to that GM role in John Lynch's absence. They would probably try and keep somewhat continuity there. And Adam Peters, you talk about desirable assets. The Broncos tried to sign him away from the Niners last year. So I, I think that. that that's probably the most likely move if John Lynch goes off. Because you got to remember for John Lynch, he came into this mostly as a friend, a friend to Kyle Shanahan. He came in off the media job, the cushy media job where he had, didn't have to deal with this or deal with backlash in quite the same way. I think he could just go off into retirement as a Hall of Famer and not even look back. For Kyle and the 49ers, it's a much different story. <laughs> Let's put a bow on that one. That is kind of the turmoil in Ninersville. If you, you want more of me bitching, my opinion on this, this is this is uh, this is very interesting to go through this because I didn't realize I hadn't paid close enough attention to the 49ers to see the dysfunction going on within the organization. This is it's quite been pervasive ever since Jim Harbaugh left that door. So yeah, I think the consistency is the owner on this one. I think I think the legislature at the top has uh, taken that organization down for 
about 15 years or so, True. but they've somehow managed to make two Super Bowls. See, that's the funny thing. I always think about this. Would you rather be a team that just consistently makes the playoffs but losing the first round, or would you be a team that has a bunch of shitty years and makes the Super Bowl twice? The problem is you lose the Super Bowl twice. Yeah. See, if you told neither, me that at least won one, maybe it changes the future for that franchise. It makes things completely different, but... It you means know, you're, you're not you... perpetually mediocre, but you're also not one of these model franchises. You're somewhere in the middle. And that's a conversation that like 12 to 13 organizations have to have all the time, whether you're the Vikings or whether you're the Dallas Cowboys or whether you're the Philadelphia Eagles or the Jack. Well, no, the Jaguars are pretty bad. Uh, the yeah, Houston if Texans. I told the Bengals, like, would you rather be a Niners win loss history over the last 10 years? They'd probably say yes, even though that would mean that the Bengals would go 0 and 4 in Super Bowls. And that would be a hard thing to recover from as a franchise. Yeah, but the Bengals have, uh, Bengals have also been pretty good over the last 20 years, quietly. Quietly, the Bengals have made like eight playoff appearances in the last yeah. 18 years. And I'd probably trade for their quarterback situation. Uh, yeah, I probably would too. Okay, well, let's move on from that. Hal, I'll give a free plug here. If you want to hear me bitch more about the Niners, check out 49 Reasons to Listen. That is our post-game breakdown of Niners games there. Let's talk about your NBA power rankings. Let's do a quick recap here before we get back into some NFL discussions here. So who do you think is going to be the biggest riser and follower this week as we enter the fourth week of NBA power rankings? You'll have your rankings up this coming Monday. What are you expecting, Kyle? Well, this is an interesting place because I would have told you the Miami Heat would be fast risers at the start of this, but now uh, that seems to be not the case after they lost to the Nuggets by 20 points without Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. But I don't play the one game sample size rule on any of this stuff. It's why the biggest faller won't be the Milwaukee Bucks, despite the fact everyone's going to try and pressure me to put the Milwaukee Bucks lower because they like are under 500. Six. Yeah, they're four and six right now. So people are going to pressure me to put the Bucks down, but this is this is not the case. Now are the Bucks championship good yes because they just have Giannis are they the championship contender no but I said that at the start of the season that they weren't the champion I think I had them number two in the power rankings and part of that was like just concern about the Lakers one two and would they at least drop outside of two I think last week we had them at four or two weeks ago we had them at four you had them at two oh I did have them at two yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to justify a four and six team at two. They won't be two then, but I think that's just a credit to teams that have been like Miami. Miami will be up there. They deserve that. They've been pretty good. 76ers, they've been pretty good. But then there are teams that you also would like to have rise a lot, but you also know that they're not really as good as the record suggests. Case in point, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shout out to them. Seven and four. They just lost Colin Sexton to a torn meniscus. Um, so that's going to end up pushing him down lower. Cavs are okay. They're fine. Yeah. They're going to fall at some point here, but they're fine. You have the Wizards so, at 11 and they're seven and four at the moment. Yeah. I mean, that's a riser, but it's not really like a gigantic riser. I guess the best way to do risers would be someone who was low and is going to make this big jump. So like, I think Phoenix is probably going to go up this week because they've ran off like five or six straight wins. I think they were somewhere in the double digits coming into this. So they'll be somewhere in the top 10 because Phoenix is one of those teams where they want to be a championship contender, but they're kind of in that like second round exit group where they have high expectations for themselves because of the weird championship run last year. But the talent on paper suggests that they don't really have much of a chance to make a deep playoff run. 
like get back to the finals. Like last year was probably their best chance to win the championship, but it was like, they started off looking kind of average. It was a lot of mid range jumpers from Devin book. I think Phoenix actually, by the way, takes the fewest number of three pointers in the league this year, which is a fun fact. Cause Devin Booker and Chris Paul are two of the best mid range shooters in the NBA, but now they've been hitting shots more consistently and they'll move up there. And Phoenix has a talented team. I think they just started off kind of in the middle. I think they were 13 or 14 two weeks ago. So, so they'll probably jump somewhere into the top 10. Wizards are a fine team. I don't think they're going to jump much more than 11, even if they're seven and four at this point, just because I don't think they're that good. I see you have the Mavericks at 12. They're seven and three at this point. I mean, you just were praising Luca on a more recent video of the Slump Buster here yep. um, for his game winner. I mean, I can see them jumping into a top 10. Oh, they'll definitely be there. I think part of that is because the Knicks are not going to be in the top 10 next week. So that's an easy spot to fill in there. But they've been fine this year. I think that the Mavericks are in a similar position to the Suns. They, their best player is better than the Suns' best player. If you want to pick Chris Paul or Devin Booker, I personally pick Devin Booker, but you could pick both ways on who the Suns' best player is. The second best player on the Mavericks is where there's a problem. And again, Luca last year had the highest usage rate in five years in the NBA, which is saying something because remember James Harden used to be the dribble, dribble, dribble guy that everyone made fun of. Uh, Luca has a higher usage rate this year than he did last year. So they did nothing to fix the problem of just the entire offense running through Luca, but they're still winning a bunch of games because Luka Doncic is like 22 and already one of the six best players in the NBA. Here's one. Are the Lakers a top 10 team? They're currently oh, yeah, six and sure. five. Okay. There's Just nothing there's, easy for sure. I mean, this is a team that's lost twice now to Oklahoma City. Twice. Yeah. Those How? are just weird. The NBA is weird like that. It's the same thing as football. The NBA one game sample sizes are weird in the NBA. I honestly genuinely don't think there's anything the Lakers could do to fall outside of the top 10 because I know that team is good. I know just because you have Anthony Davis and because you have LeBron James and because you have Russell Westbrook, that makes your team good. Now, injuries would be the reason they would fall out of the top 10. I should put that out there. I can't think of a reason when they're all playing relatively healthy. At least two of them are healthy. Then in theory, I would say, wouldn't this technically be the power rankings update to knock them outside of the top 10 just simply because LeBron James is potentially going to miss at least the next two weeks? And Anthony Davis is day-to-day pretty much every game at this point so this would be the time to do it with the kicking off injuries early this year with the Lakers because LeBron James and Anthony Davis are already battling injuries this is the problem with the Lakers same problem they had in 2019 same problem they had in 2020 mixed in with winning the championship and they won the championship 2020 last year they got hit with injuries which is just Anthony Davis and LeBron James both get hurt quite a bit and LeBron James we used to think of the as the invincible guy and now he's had two consecutive years with season-ending injuries and he's holding on to the last stages of being an elite player. But I guess you're right. This would be the week to drop them out of the top 10. I'm looking through the the rankings from last week, and I feel like the top 10 is going to be pretty consistent. Warriors are good. Brooklyn's still really good. Uh, 76ers, top 10. The Heat, top 10. The Boston Celtics are not top 10. Players only meeting, baby, in the seventh game of the season. (laughs) Yeah, let's kind of mentioned that a little bit there's reports that Ben Simmons potentially could be in Celtics green sometime here soon you know one of multiple trade situations have been floated I saw the potential details of that trade rumor get out that it would be like Jalen Brown Robert Williams a number of picks and for me that's just Daryl Morey dude drop your ASCII price no one is paying you that (laughs) 
You're getting Jalen Brown in a first or you're getting nothing. I think that's what he has to ask for though, right? Like he has to try and shoot for the moon with Ben Simmons because it's really hard to find a player as good as Ben Simmons. As much as we we joke about him, you know, getting booed out of stadiums and not being able to shoot, it's really hard to find a player that good. And Jalen Brown is very good, but Jalen Brown's like in a tier below Ben Simmons where he and like Brandon Ingram are like people who, if they have a good year, will make the all-star team. But if not, then- they're kind of on the fringes here's what i'd say as much as i would actually be disappointed in game Ben simmons i i don't really want it from a watching the team standpoint you know my buying into everyone and liking their personalities because i like Jalen, i like jason i like marcus i like al even but i would have a hard time from banging on the dude for like years now ben simmons to having to support him because he's now part of the team i would eventually but it would take time it would be like reverse kyrie irving where i was all in favor of him and then eventually <laughs> grew to despise him. I would despise him coming in and have to grow to love him. I think from a basketball standpoint, it would be a good fit because I could see him and Jason being a good combination there. Him is a good distributor. Jason is that outside wing. No one has to go into the middle, kind of get that congestion that we always hear about with Embiid and Simmons as they're currently constructed in Philadelphia. From the Philadelphia standpoint, Jalen and Embiid, that could be a solid production because you talk about Jalen being that shooting guard from the outside. Again, another athletic wing there. He can actually shoot. So that put some relief on Embiid to be able to just be that monster in the middle of the paint there. So for both teams, it would make them better, I think, from a schematic standpoint, because right now the Celtics are caught in this hell where either Jason has a good game or Jalen has a good game, but they can't seem to have a good game together. Yeah, this is uh, this is my reaction to seeing the tweet from uh, Shams Sharania that uh, the Celtics were inquiring about Ben Simmons and that the deal would have to be like a Simmons for Brown swap. It was just, ah. Okay. Both teams are kind of about the same. They might both get better schematically, but I think that only does so much of a difference for like improving a seed or making them go from, in the case of the Celtics, a team that's going to get bounced in the first round to a team that's going to make it to the conference championship. I don't, I don't think that difference makes that much of a, a, an impact. I think the same thing we've been saying now, I think since like pre pandemic for the Celtics is still true, which is how good is Jason Tatum going to be? That's pretty much just the story of how good the Celtics are. Are or are not going to be is just what is Jason Tatum's ceiling at this point. His biggest problem seems to be inconsistencies because he'll trade a 50 point game for a dinger where he just can't get anything in the basket where just shooting yeah. pure bricks. I think I saw in that Knicks game, God, I think he was like shooting less than 30% or something gross. Yeah. And and to be fair, if that's the case, that means Jason Tatum is going to be one of these like third tier stars, which is really, really good. Like that's someone who can on a good year start in the all-star game. It also means when you play a team that has a star better than Jason Tatum, you're probably going to lose. And that's fine. I think a lot of teams would trade that position to get Jason Tatum at this point. It just means the Boston Celtics are going to be like the Portland Trailblazers for the next four years or something like that. That's kind of what that means, but that's not bad. Like it's, it's fine. I guess they'll be hanging around the top 10 in the power rankings. How about that? That's, that's what you do. If you have Jason Tatum as your best player. Well, that would be a relief because right now you have them at 19 and I could see them even dropping below that. (laughs) Okay. Somewhere in there. I, I, I mean, I would say the Clippers are playing better basketball. You had the Clippers at 20 and the Celtics at 19. So I would say that's that's an easy person you could have jump them. 
we know who the bad teams are at least like uh, i would say the Cavs. obviously you mentioned them you had them at 23 the celtics at 19 how can i justify the celtics above the Cavs at this point yeah, just jason tatum that's the only just reason jason T- he, just, you just know, jason tatum that's their point there's record you know yeah i mean but the i know i'm starting I, spiral i mean yeah I'm, no i'm we just know looking who, at the teams directly behind the celtics and who i can see passing them yeah we know who the 10 bad teams are at this point that's easy enough we we know who the bottom 10 are gonna be it's just filtering everyone else in there here i'll do it right off the top of my head so pacers pistons magic they're going to be at the very bottom Toronto's going to be in the bottom 10 but not like too far down but they'll be they'll be in the 20s somewhere they have um, a better record than the Celtics six and five yeah I mean shout out to Scotty Barnes we talked about him in that video we had but that fine Pelicans without Zion suck uh Rockets Timberwolves Thunder Spurs and then I guess Sacramento would be 21 again I think Sacramento was 21 last week I think Sacramento is going to be 21 again so yeah that's the bottom 10 everyone else you can filter in some Somewhere between 11 and 20. So Boston will still make it in the top 20. How about that? I don't know. Can the Celtics beat the Lakers twice? Because I'm looking at this OKC team. I'm not kidding. But <laughs> see, this is this is ultimate bitter. You talking about monetizing my tears, talking about my lowly Celtics, my Niners in turmoil, four game losing streak for the Longhorns. Come on. Give me yeah. something, God. Horus. Horus, I pray to you. Give me some better luck here. Buster Posey retired. There's going oh to be an MLB what, lockout. What are we doing? What is going on? Yeah. Right now, I'm just got Farhan Zaidi. I got a candle in front of Farhan Zaidi's picture, and I'm just saying, make some big moves because the Giants seem to be the only thing that are giving me joy at this point in my sporting life. Well, I don't even know if Sark makes it to 2022. Oh gosh, you can't do that to him. This is this was his freebie year. This is him playing with Tom Herman's players and not even all of Tom Herman's players, like 70% of Tom Herman's See, players. The problem is just you watch the games and it's progressively getting worse. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, so what? One year you would like playing, the arrow uh... to be pointing upwards towards the end of the season, not going downwards towards this point in the season. You go yeah. from leading in three straight games and losing in just heartbreaking fashion to game absolutely blown out 30 to seven. Yeah. Also, while the broadcast played brass monkey uh, because of that magical story with your strength brass and conditioning monkey. coach. Oh my God. I didn't even, yeah, I should have they, addressed that one. What was it pole monster or something? I believe that the disrespect here, we need to to give our proper recognitions to pole assassin and the pole monkey assassin. that <laughs> that, uh, that bit a child on Halloween uh, leading to the FS1 broadcast for people who don't know, playing brass monkey coming out of a commercial and then the very next play, Iowa State threw a double pass for a touchdown on the very next play after playing that song to troll Texas. Wow. I, I didn't even know that backstory. I mean, I knew the pole assassin. What a name. That what a story. Like, what a story. We're a week late to this, but still. What what a stripper name to have, though. I, I guess it's, I don't know, where would, what would you grade that stripper name? Oh, pole that's assassin. an A. That's, that's an, an A. a. Like, there's would room you... for improvement, but th- it's hard to get much better than that. Now, I don't assume you're a strip club guy, but would you get a dance from a stripper named Pole Assassin? Uh, I, I'm not in a position to answer this because I would not be of legal age to enter a strip club. Uh, There's 18 plus clubs. That's true, but they can't serve alcohol. And find me a strip club that's not serving alcohol. I, I mean, you could find game. <laughs> We're going to uh, hire Pole Assassin for you. Come down to Austin. We'll find her. Pole Assassin, where you at? Actually, 
technically I'm in this area code. So in theory, technically we do know we can figure out pretty quickly because we know who she's married to the guy who left his wife and children for Paul assassin and the monkey, you know, though, as much as this is a funny headline, this is probably great press for her. You know how they say any headline is a good headline. Yes. I'm sure that there's people going into clubs right now saying, Hey, can I get pole assassin? Oh, I was going the other way that she can go on any podcast or sports radio show in America and get paid to do appearances now. It's like those girls that had the Odell Beckham story and the other one that had the the whole Phoenix Sun story. How, yes, you're right. They could just literally get on any podcast, do whatever, free publicity. Here's my OnlyFans. Check it out. Pole assassin, OnlyFans. You know, I've never paid for an OnlyFans. I've never have, and I almost said I never will. But Pole Assassin, I don't know. I might have to get the credit card out for that one. I've never seen a picture of Pole Assassin. I've only heard the story at this point. My favorite joke out of all of this, more than the brass monkey leading to the touchdown, was uh, courtesy of the shutdown full cast, which is the idea that there's going to be an assistant coach hiring cycle at Texas, and they're going to have to ask them about this. When they're going through the background checks, they're going to have to ask their assistants about what is, what's your family situation like? You, you have any you have any children? You, you have any partners, any pets, any uh, any any interesting pets? Uh, also, the idea that someone could be like, I have 400 guns, but I don't own a monkey in Texas would be like, yes, we will hire you as our next strength and conditioning coach. There is more tigers in captivity in Texas than there are in the wild. Yes, I Credit saw Joe Rogan the, the start of Tiger King. Oh, Joe Rogan got that? I think that was the first introduction to the Tiger King documentary. Yeah, that was his joke. And then Tiger King came out when we were all in pandemic mode. In fact, Tiger King 2, just around the corner. Keep an eye out for that one. We get finally find out if Carol Baskins killed her husband. Oh, we already know she did, but... Uh, we do, yeah. but... Yeah, but <laughs> I, I loved the first Tiger King. I will not be watching the second one. Uh, this oh, is come a- on. How? Come on. Cool cats and kittens? No. Now, this is a cash grab. I refuse to partake in this because it's not going to be authentic anymore. This is this is all filmed after the original Tiger King. So everyone knows they're doing this for money. And so it's just going to be it's going to be boring, but it's also going to be fake. It's not it's not like the original one where they didn't think it was going to blow up. And now they're doing it knowing that it's for a cash grab. But I really want to learn more about Doc Antle's sex cult. I, I got I to know more details on this one. Yeah, Plus, I want to know how to have a liger that just seems so chill. <laughs> I think there is also going to be some stories about, uh, what was his name, Jeff Lowe. I think that he's going to be a featured Is that the guy they based Scarface off of? Is that that one? Nope, that's the, that's the Miami guy. Jeff Lowe's the guy who like defrauds Joe Exotic and steals his zoo. That's uh. the... Yeah. Okay. I would like to learn more about the Miami guy too. I mean, Scarface, always a fun movie. So yeah, Miami guy's funny. That's a, that's a good one. Okay. Well, for the interest, I know you have other plans today. Let's just roll into our NFL picks and see if we can knock these out quickly. Let's start off first in the morning games on Sunday. We had the Falcons going into Dallas where they are nine point underdogs. So a team that's in the playoff picture is currently a nine point dog on the road against the Dallas Cowboys. The Falcons have had some interesting storylines come up in recent weeks. Obviously, Calvin Ridley taking his leave of absence from the team was something that we imagined was going to be a huge detriment, but they came out strong in that game against the Saints and got the win there. But the Saints, obviously, we 
have to remember, especially when we talk about their game, they're dealing with Trevor Simeon as their quarterback at the moment. We'll see if that eventually transitions to Taysom Hill, but the Falcons took advantage of Trevor Simeon, got an early lead. Matt Ryan had a good passing day. They've kind of done what the Falcons have done in recent years where they start off really slow and then they start kind of getting better throughout the season. They go against this Cowboys team that just got curb stomped against the Denver Broncos. 30-0 to zero at one point was that game. Ended up being 30-16, to 16, I want to say the final score. So a much closer game than it actually was in reality. We don't think much of the Broncos. We don't think of them as a good team. And we certainly thought with Dak Prescott back in the lineup, there's no way the Broncos would have won that game. We were severely wrong in that situation. Hell, maybe that should have been a game we talked about last week. We could have been wrong for the 0 for 2 on that one as well. Falcons in Dallas. I have to go with the Cowboys. I think coming off getting embarrassed like they did against the Broncos, this team's going to come back with a little bit more energy. It's another week for Dak to get healthier off of that calf injury. I I think this is going to be a very motivated Dallas team we see coming into this one. Even though I do think the Falcons are a fun storyline as we continue to see who gets that seven seed in the NFC, I think the Cowboys are a much better team at this point. Uh, I would like to say that although Juju mentioned off the top that the Falcons are indeed in the playoff picture right now, uh, if they make the playoffs, they will not deserve it. I've been putting that out here now that the Falcons do not deserve to make the playoffs and uh, they will be curb stomped by whoever the two seed in the NFC is. In the case of the Dallas Cowboys, the thing I've been saying all year is that when your team generates a lot of turnovers on defense and you're not an elite defensive unit, like you're, you're usually in the top 10 but you're leading the league in turnovers, it's usually masking inefficiencies on your defense. This happened to the Miami Dolphins last year. No, two years before that, it happened to the Detroit Lions in that first year with Patricia where they like kind of stunk, but they were like 15th in the league in defense. And everyone was joking that it was one of those years that Matt Stafford got a defense that wasn't bottom 10 in the league. All of that to say, the Cowboys were that team this year where Trayvon Diggs had seven interceptions and they forced like four more turnovers than the next closest team. And the reason that's the case is because turnovers are really just a product of luck. Teams get really lucky when they force turnovers that someone doesn't drop a pass like Kevin King did against the Chiefs last week or some pass doesn't get overthrown or that a guy fumbles a ball because he accidentally let the ball hang out for an extra second. Like you get really lucky when you generate turnovers and they don't translate over a larger sample size. And so you started to see a little bit of that last week when 30 points were scored by Teddy Bridgewater. Your defense has to be bad to allow 30 points to Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I know it was mostly a rushing attack for the Denver Broncos with Williams and Gordon that kind of took over there. But even still, do you know how bad you had to have played that day for Teddy Bridgewater to score 30 points against you? So all of that to say, the Cowboys are just better than the Falcons. I'm going to pick the Dallas Cowboys and have Falcons cover the eight or nine point spread. I think you said it was nine. I saw eight when I was filling out picks for the week for take it easy, but I think you got him at nine. That's even better. I agree with that, especially if I'm rolling with the Falcons. I'll take him at nine and a half. And uh, I'll say they'll cover the spread um, because this one, if you had told me two years ago, that, or actually last year, really, that the Falcons were playing the Cowboys, I would have told you both teams are going to score in the 30s. It's going to be a 50-50 toss-up game. Both quarterbacks are going to throw 400 yards. But the Falcons have a new identity. They are no longer the 350-yard, three-touchdown one interception, score 30 points, but your defense is going to allow 30 points Falcons. No, they have a new identity under Arthur Smith. And that identity apparently is Cordero Patterson. 
I guess. His mama worked three jobs. He can play three positions. Cordell Patterson, uh, he's been quite the story this year. I think credit to Arthur Smith for finding something in a player like Patterson because you have a majority of teams that have given up on Patterson or not used him correctly. It seems like the Falcons saw this big-bodied, athletic freak that is Cordell Patterson. And they said, we can use this. We have something here. So I think it's a good thing that Cordell Patterson's good because they're actually appreciating and using a talent correctly. So that does speak highly if you are Arthur Smith, that you found a guy. You were hoping that Mike Davis could have been a little bit more of a contributor in that backfield, but you'll settle if Cordell Patterson turns out to be that guy. It's only a shame for them. I mentioned the Calvin Ridley stuff, not having him in the lineup. If you had Calvin Ridley, Pitts, and Cordell Patterson all rolling for you then that's a decent little unit for Matt Ryan, uh, not to mention the the MVP of the Falcons this year it's not the guy they spent the number four pick in the draft on instead of Justin Fields for it is some dude named Zacchaeus who is putting up like six touchdowns this year and close to a thousand yards it's it's not Kyle Pitts it's it's Cordero Patterson and Zacchaeus are gonna yeah. carry the Falcons that one got me in fantasy that one pissed me off there because I was like you know Russell Gage will probably step up with Calvin Ridley out and then it's <laughs> Zacchaeus against the touchdown. I try to say his first name on the fantasy pod. I, Olamide Zadia. I got you. Zacchaeus. I got you here. I, I am. I am the broadcaster with the pronunciations. Olamadeus Zacchaeus. Olamadeus. See, that actually has a nice flow to it. Olamadeus yes, Zacchaeus. There are two pronunciations. Zacchaeus. It could also be Olamadeus Zacchaeus if you prefer that way. Both are acceptable in this context. Is Olamadeus Zacchaeus? I just do the double e because it flows off the tongue better i'm thinking of like that little dicky song kareem abdul kareem abdul jabbar <laughs> kareem abdul jabbar oh that actually had a nice little flow to it we gotta build that I like up it. we gotta get yes. that flow going the white rapper or the the uh, the latino rapper exactly you know it could have been a little bit better if i had the background that kind of like speak to my culture now actually let's get some gasolina in there that's what really speaks to my culture there let's get some gasolina i will not stand for the disrespect there that is a fantastic song i am not saying any disrespect i am saying that if i'm in the club and gasolina comes on that actually speaks to my inner heritage it kind of makes that Martinez kind of have a little bit more zing in the club. I'm just that saying. That is a great song. That is a great song. I will. I just picture a six foot five Dominican man stepping up to the plate and bench warmers anytime that song comes up. All the you, that's what I always associate with that song because bench warmers very underrated movie. But neither here nor there. We're both on the Cowboys. We'll move on. Let's move it to our next game here. We're staying in the NFC South and the AFC South actually, as we have a cross conference matchup here. The New Orleans Saints are heading into Tennessee. Tennessee is on a hell of a heater at the moment. Even despite Derrick Henry being out, they smacked the Rams in Los Angeles, mostly because Matthew Stafford went back to Detroit Lions. Matthew Stafford there in the early going with those interceptions. That spinning interception there. See, I feel as though every time I say I saw the stupidest interception possible, and usually it's Carson Wentz I associate with it. Someone always tries to outdo it. So Carson Wentz with his fumble slash interception two Sundays ago. Then he has the one against the Titans where he just throws it left-handed straight into the guy's hands. And then Matthew Stafford does a 360 toss into a guy's hand. I guess it's kind of ironic that it happened two times against the Titans. You talk about turnovers masking bigger defensive issues. I think that's where the Titans got a little bit lucky in terms of their defense the last couple weeks. 
because that just set the tone for that entire Sunday night game. When you're just instantly down 14 to six, you have to look up in the Rams and the Titans are a good enough offense to where they could just kind of grind it out, keep the lead, keep time of possession, keep Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and all those guys off the field. It just was a perfect strategy for them. Now they go against the Saints team that we mentioned in the Falcons-Cowboys breakdown is having issues at the quarterback position. Trevor Simeon, he was great for that game against the Bucs. But the problem with Trevor Simeon is his ability to put up consecutive games in which he's an effective quarterback. Will Taysom Hill get the start? I was surprised that he didn't get the start in this last game. I think part of that is if you're Sean Payton, you almost like having Taysom Hill as that weapon that you could bring off the bench, that six man, so to say, where you could just put him in and plug and play in different roles. Yeah. That you just need a established quarterback to be able to use Taysom Hill properly. But I think you have to cut the formalities here and just put Taysom Hill into the lineup and see what he could get out of him because Trevor Simeon is only good for a spot start here. He is not a guy that you could depend on for multiple games. See, I don't want to take the Titans almost because I'm so upset with my ability to pick Titans games. They're a team that I doubt, I doubt, I doubt, and then I buy in and they end up losing. I'm going to have to do it just because, again, they are facing the back of quarterback. Yeah. But I don't feel good about it. They are three-point favorites in this game, I should add. So what the Sunday night game taught me between the Titans and the Rams, because there's this was a very weird game. If you're hitting the panic button for the Rams, don't. It's just a weird game. Stafford's going to have some of them every now and then. Every quarterback has it. There's been so many weird interceptions that you forgot to mention. The Mahomes one against the racial slurs where he just kind of flips the ball over his head and just We'll goes get right into some Mahomes interceptions here a little bit. That's going to be a big talking point for the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I would say that one is that one might top the Carson Wentz ones, although the Wentz ones are pretty bad. I think I saw Jameis Winston throw a butt interception in one of these games, though. So that's also there. Anyways, what I did learn is that the the reason I thought the Titans were going to be done after the Derrick Henry injury was confirmed by that game, which is the Titans are really going to struggle to score points over the next two months without Derrick Henry. And this extends into the playoffs if Derrick Henry doesn't come back. But in games where Derrick Henry is held under like 70 yards, the Titans really don't have other options where they can find points because all of a sudden they become one dimensional. And Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback that is built around he makes strategic throws to win games in certain situations. And that threat of running helps open up the Ryan Tannehill game. So the Titans are really going to struggle to score points over the next six to eight weeks and when they play stronger opponents that don't make mistakes like the Rams do not that the Rams aren't a good team but the Rams made a lot of mistakes in that game that's going to be one where it starts to come back against them which is exactly why I'm going to pick the New Orleans Saints this week to win the game in Tennessee not that I believe in the Saints like being a great team that is about to be I think like six and three if they win this week I I think that they're in like the 10 win range where they're going to lose a wild card or they're going to be like six and a half points dogs in a wild card game this year they're fine the Saints are a fine team and what's interesting for the Titans point that I was wrong about is similarly to how I talked about the Bengals this is not to say that this is a turning point but they are better than I expected the Titans defense better than I expected because in the last four weeks number one pass rusher in pressures on the quarterback is Jeffrey Simmons of the Titans number two pass rusher in pressures on the quarterback over the last four weeks also on the Titans Danico Autry which is fascinating that the Titans have gotten so much pressure on the quarterback which helps them because last time I checked Janoris Jenkins is 
is their number one corner. And that's not a great situation anyone wants to be in. So the Titans are better because they have a couple of good players on the defensive line that have played better than expectations. I knew Jeffrey Simmons was pretty good coming into this year, but thinking of him as a game-changing defensive tackle was not exactly my perception of him. That's kind of where I'm leaning on Jeffrey Simmons now. Like this is a guy who is a game breaker on the interior, not quite to the level of Aaron Donald because that's the gold standard, but he's like a silver or bronze standard in terms of game-breaking defensive tackles. So better, yes. Do the Saints have a really good O-line? Yes, they do. And for that reason, I think the Saints are going to win against the Tennessee Titans. Okay, is that the cojones pick of the week? I think so. I think this is. I mean, there's one more game on here that could qualify for it, but this might be my tremendo cojones pick this week. Mm, Gotta get that drop. I think that could be something kind of like just a big graphic. It just some tremendo cojones. Throw up some uh, graphic, some Rocky Mountain oysters on there. <laughs> See, <laughs> this is another thing that, that pisses me off about Kyle Shanahan. One more rant about Kyle Shanahan. You know, Sean Payton wins with backup quarterbacks. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury won with a backup quarterback. Pete Carroll wins with backup quarterbacks. You're telling me that you're struggling with a Super Bowl roster and a backup quarterback? Uh, Cliff Kingsbury has a good defense, though. Cliff Kingsbury. Did the Niners have a good defense in 2020? No, the 49ers do not have a good defense. Because the rankings in 2020 would suggest that they did have a good defense, but they lost a lot of games. I believe they were yes. the sixth ranked defense in total points per last year. Uh, that is because I believe Josh Rosen was playing quarterback for them to end last season. I believe that is a thing that happened. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, wasn't Josh Rosen playing? playing that game when he subbed in for the injured CJ Mathard? No. No. Ah. CJ was in and Nick was in. That was the only two quarterbacks down the stretch run. Either way, my point remains, if you can win with Teddy Bridgewater, if you could win with I don't know, Trevor Simeon, you could win with Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard, or you should be expected to in your fourth year of coaching. Either way, moving on. Let's stay in the morning slate. Let's talk about the Browns going into New England. This is currently one of the closest lines of the week as the Browns are only a point and a half underdogs in this game. Both teams are five and four. Both teams are competing hard for that wild card spot. I would even say there's an outside shot for New England to potentially sneak back into that division championship if the Bills continue to struggle as well. In this game, I would say I like the Patriots out the gate. I'll just be honest. I like the Patriots out the gate. I know that you can always see regression when you're talking about a rookie quarterback and Mac Jones. But I think that Bill has just always been able to do a good number on Baker. And that defense has been playing really well over the last couple of weeks for the Patriots. This is a team that honestly should have a much better record than they even do at this point. You go back to week one where they lost the Damian Harris game where he fumbled in the red zone, you know, that cost him that game. They had the game where they could have, in theory, beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. The Patriots have played really well. And I think while they're not quite that dynasty New England Patriots that we think about, they're a good team. They're a good football team, whereas the Browns are an inconsistent football team. They're a team that will go in and blow out the Cincinnati Bengals last week, but they're a team that will also put up 10 points against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Can we say the OBJ effect was in full effect during this game because, oh, OBJ's gone? Okay, let's just put up 30. Let's just have our best offensive performance in weeks. Addition by subtraction, the Cleveland Browns without OBJ. (laughs) No. No, right. don't do Odell. Like Odell may be playing for the Patriots on Sunday. Who knows? Like that. Wouldn't that be a fun storyline? 
Either way, where are you going with this game? Are you leaning the Browns? Are you leaning the Patriots? On these toss-up games, my default is to go to the more talented team, which in this case would be the Cleveland Browns. But this is one of those few situations where we're talking about the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots. And so you feel like coaching does typically make a difference and just the names on the jerseys would make a difference because it is the Patriots and the Browns. This is not our childhood Cleveland Browns anymore. This is a team that is good enough to maybe make the sixth seed in the AFC playoffs this year. So Cleveland is in an interesting place because they have been really, really injured this year. And they also just lost their running backs for this game, which is going to make life even more difficult for Cleveland. The last time we had a game like this, I bet off of Cleveland, Dearness Johnson went crazy on that uh, Thursday night game against the Denver Broncos. And I don't know what to do with this game because I feel like Cleveland is the better team, but also all the signs are pointing in favor of the Patriots, except for the fact that when you look at the matchup between the Patriots offense and the Cleveland Browns defense, it matches up really well for Cleveland. They are really good at run defense. I know the Patriots like to run the ball more up the middle, and that's a weak spot for the Cleveland Browns, but at the same time, very good at stopping the run this season from Cleveland. Uh, That's going to be overwhelmingly where the Patriots want to go. Last week, only one wide receiver for the Patriots had more than one catch, and that was Kendrick Bourne. Uh, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith break that because they're tight ends, but Patriots have virtually no wide receivers still. Bill Belichick's never been good at picking wide receivers. It's one of those weird blind spots in his game. The problem is I don't know if Cleveland is going to be able to generate enough points to win this game. And so I'm going to cower in fear and pick the New England Patriots to win this one instead of going with us picking against each other. I know I had a couple of these winners last week, like picking the Cardinals without uh, Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins, but I can't do it against the Patriots. And by the way, I don't think the Patriots are like that good this year. The Patriots offense has overperformed to expectations because on paper, they're one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Like they have a good offensive line, which helps supplement it. It's why they're not as bad as like Washington or the teams that are like actively tanking. But like of the good teams in the NFL, if you took like the top 16 teams in the NFL at this point, think like either the Patriots or the Steelers have the worst offense of the teams that are actually good this year. So I think the Patriots are doing more with less. And I know that's a cop out answer because it's like, wow, look at Bill Belichick and how he's turning this around. I don't even know if it's a Bill Belichick thing or not. I'm uh, working through the 19 hour audio book from Seth Wickersham right now. So I'm learning a lot about the Belichickian ideology here. I don't even know if it's Belichick that's doing it this year. I don't know if it's Josh McDaniels. I don't know why it's the case, but the Patriots have done more with less this season on offense. And because their defense is still pretty good, they've been good enough to maybe fight for that playoff spot in a ridiculously crowded middle of the pack in the AFC. So I'll take the Patriots this week as a cop out to not trust Baker Mayfield against a Bill Belichick defense. Don't got the little helmet. <laughs> now I can grab it real quick for you here. Da-da-da. There we go. New England Patriots. For our listeners or viewers that are watching this on our little YouTube clips, breaking down the game, got to have the props. Got to give that little carrot top aspect that we have to yes, this one. Of course. There's that beautiful Patriots helmet that has not changed in 25 years. There you go. It's uh, like I was telling Drew though, and you brought up a great point. You know, Bill 
He takes away what you do well. What the Browns do well, run the football. The Browns are hindered in their ability to run the football with their best running back out this week. Potentially, I mean, we could get news that he clears protocol because he is vaccinated. So that at least allows him to get on the field a little sooner should he get some negative tests um, in the case of Nick Chubb there. But either way, I think that they're going to force Baker Mayfield into some bad spots. He's going to make an interception or two. And that's going to put the Browns in a compromising position in which the Patriots can take advantage of. So we're both on the Patriots this week let's move into the afternoon slate we only are going to be talking about one game here in this 305 p.m central standard time start time uh we have the minnesota vikings going into los angeles the minnesota vikings another one of these teams is hanging around three and five in this wild card picture i tell you i feel better about the vikings than i do about the 49ers that's why i chose this game and wanted this on our schedule more than i wanted to talk about the niners going into los angeles or facing the rams on monday night i feel much better about the vikings they at least have a good offense they're competitive in games they took the baltimore ravens down to the wire because that's what the Vikings do. They just take teams down to the wire. Thank God we both picked the Ravens last week, though. The Chargers, they're going against a team that, you know, like the Titans. I hate picking Chargers games. I'm just going to say it. I hate picking the Chargers because I think I've bet wrong on them pretty much all year. I think I am just so off on gauging Chargers games. When I think they'll win, they lose. When I think they lose, they win. Justin Herbert has struggled in recent weeks. Yes, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles on the road, but you look at the two performances in front of that you talk about him against the Patriots you talk about him against the Ravens those are some bad outings and what teams are starting to do is they're just starting to take away Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and make him have to use that third wide receiver or get a running game that as much as I love Austin Eckler he's not a between the tackles runner and their inability to generate a normal rushing attack has put this offense in some bad positions not to mention that again they're one of the worst rushing defenses in football and they got to go against Dalvin Cook this week it's hard for me to bet on the Vikings because I don't know what to do with the Vikings either. This is a game that I could just flip a coin and pick a team because... Would you like to pick the opposite of me? I think you got to catch me by like two games right now, so maybe this yeah, is Yeah, I chance. am struggling here, so let me hear it. Who are you going with? I am rolling with the San Diego Super Chargers, even though they're not in San Diego anymore, but uh, I like the Chargers this week. The flavor of the month word for people who like pretend they know football analysis but aren't actually like watching film like myself I pretend I know a lot about football but I'm not like sitting down and watching film but the, the flavor of the the month is two high safeties because uh, we're going to talk about the Chiefs in a minute but that's the strategy that people have used to take away the Chiefs which is basically like we used to say all the time well if you take away Tyree Kill you're going to get burned by Travis Kelsey but then no one actually tried to be like well what if we took away Tyreek Hill and then covered the middle on Kelsey like what if we tried to do both and lo and behold that actually worked and Patrick Mahomes doesn't know how to play against too high safety coverage so teams just took that and said well what if we did the same thing to the Chargers and they started doing the same thing to the Chargers over the last three weeks when we talk about the Ravens game the Patriots game and the Eagles game people just said what if we did the same thing everyone's doing to the Chiefs and applied it to the Chargers and lo and behold the Chargers offense looks kind of neutered Justin Herbert's extremely accurate this is the difference between 
between Herbert and Patrick Mahomes in this respect is that when the Chiefs get in trouble, their default is to just keep trying over and over again. When they take away the big ball with Justin Herbert, his tendency is to turn into Teddy Bridgewater, where he's going like 19 for 21, but he's averaging like four yards in the air per pass to like Donald Parnum and whoever else is a wide receiver for the Chargers other than Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So the game plan is just check down to running backs all the time once you take away the big ball. And the Chargers are generating enough points, but their defense is not as good as their offense. And so the Patriots score a bunch of points. The Eagles can score a bunch of points against them. The Ravens obviously dropped like 34 against the Chargers defense, which is, it's good, not great. Similar to the Dallas Cowboys. It's like, it's fine. It's a middle of the road defense for the Chargers this year. The problem this week is that the Vikings defense is, uh, and this is a direct quote from uh, someone on Twitter. Uh, the Vikings defense is bare booty ass cheeks. And so uh, I think the Chargers will be able to take them over the top. And uh, I think the Chargers are going to win this game pretty big actually now Kirk Cousins can score 34 points any given week he could also score 16 against Cooper Rush (laughs) this is a game that is going to finish with Kirk Cousins down six one minute length of the field no timeouts against Philip Rivers's former team where for my entire childhood for 10 consecutive seasons from age seven to age 17 I had to watch Philip Rivers down six one minute to go no timeouts length of the field so uh, with that being said I'll take the Chargers to win this week (laughs) it's funny to think that both these franchises are facing each other because both of these franchises do similar type things where they have that situation come up so many times in their games. It's going to be interesting to see who escapes that purgatory. Well, I guess that box me in the corner here. I'm taking the Vikings then where I think the Vikings can succeed in this game. You mentioned their defense, maybe a little bit of a shootout type performance, but if they can run the ball, which every team has been able to run the ball on the Chargers, I think that that's their opportunity to develop an early lead and milk time of possession. And Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, both of these guys, I feel very confident in their ability to do such. I was saying that I think Dalvin Cook could be the number one fantasy running back this week, even ahead of Jonathan Taylor against the Jaguars, because I think that this Chargers defense just ineffective. They have been gashed every step of the way. Dalvin Cook, obviously one of the most elite running backs in football. I think that's the opportunity for the Vikings win. And yes, Kirk Cousins can do just enough to move the ball on third downs get Justin Jefferson, get Adam Thielen involved. Yeah, Vikings. I mean, I don't feel good about either one of these teams, but I can at least say that I think I see the pathways for the Vikings to win this game. And to update people, I said earlier that the Chargers are a meth defense. According to Football Outsiders, they are ranked 21st in defensive DVOA so far this season. So Chargers are a meth defense. And that's probably not what you want to hear when you hired a defensive coordinator to be your head coach, because that's bare minimum where you expect him to shine. Uh, but Brandon Staley is a new age defensive coordinator where he comes from an offensive background and only spent one year as a defensive coordinator under Sean McVay and was apparently blessed by the magical Sean McVay gift of transforming an offense from terrible Anthony Lynn into a top 10 unit. See, if the Chargers season continues to spiral or takes a bad nosedive here, then all the praise and admiration that we threw on Brandon Staley at the early part of the season will be an interesting thing to kind of follow where people kind of view him 
him after the season if the Chargers continue to struggle. Okay, let's move into our final game of the weekend. So that game obviously impacts the AFC West. Well, here's a game that really impacts the AFC West. The Kansas City Chiefs are going into Las Vegas. The Kansas City Chiefs are two and a half point favorites where both of these teams stand. So the Chiefs just came off a week in which they were able to take advantage of a Aaron rodgers list Packers team. Jordan Love struggled in his pro debut. The Las Vegas Raiders are coming off a game in which a lot of stories, a lot of things going on in that locker room. They ended up losing a game to the Giants. And I don't think too many people would necessarily hold it against the Raiders losing that game, considering what they had to deal with in the recent week. Obviously, it started with the John Gruden stuff. Henry Ruggs was involved in there with his unfortunate accident. And then they also had to release David Arnett, their starting quarterback this weekend, first round pick from a year ago. Raiders got a lot of different things going on here, but I'm going to tell you, I have them winning this game. I think that the Raiders have been playing better football. I understand the loss to the Giants. I write it off as one week dealing with a lot of shit kind of game. I said from the start, the Raiders would split with the Chiefs. And I think that that split comes more likely in them winning the game in Las Vegas than them going into Arrowhead and winning that game. So I'm going to stay consistent here. I'm going to pick them to win this game because the Chiefs, they are just struggling. It is becoming so apparent that in a game in which the other team literally didn't have their starting cornerback, they couldn't run away with that victory. That victory was still a one-score game. You talk about the too-high safety thing that everyone's talking about at the moment and how that's hindered Patrick Mahomes' ability to be an elite performer. The fact that he struggled in fantasy football has been all too apparent for someone that has him in multiple leagues like myself. And I was listening to an interesting take on this. I was listening to some thoughts on why Patrick Mahomes could potentially be struggling or why this year where they're having to face a little bit of adversity is hitting the Chiefs. Cecil Lammy, he's a beat reporter for the Denver Broncos, host of Football Guys, was talking about the idea that has it become a problem that Patrick Mahomes leads by fun rather than fear. Whereas you talk about some of the more elite quarterbacks in football, some of the best quarterbacks over the recent decade and recent generations like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, that yes, they can have fun and enjoy the game of football, but when the going gets tough, they know how to get in guys' faces and really motivate them to perform. You talk about Tom Brady even just last year getting on a rookie tackle with Tristan Wirfs and Tristan Wirfs begins to play his best football. I'm saying that there's multiple ways to lead a game. And yes, we do respect and enjoy and the admiration that Patrick Mahomes has, the fun and enthusiasm he has in a game. But I think when you have a team that's struggling like the Chiefs are, this is where Patrick Mahomes needs to step up as a leader and motivate in a different way. He needs to find new pitches because I mentioned it last year that I didn't think that Patrick Mahomes was a finished product. I thought he could only get better. And so often we talk about how you learn in life. You tend to learn more in failure than you tend to learn in success. I think that this is a big opportunistic year for Patrick Mahomes to really learn as a leader, learn different ways to motivate guys as a leader. Because if we expect him to be that Hall of Fame quarterback, that guy who's dominating the league for the next 10 to 20 years, like we do, then he needs to stop just being one of the guys, one of the teammates. He needs to almost become something bigger. He needs to be just that pure franchise quarterback that knows how to keep guys accountable whenever they're not performing like his offensive line or like Nicole Hardman these third wide receivers for the team these backup running backs they've had to put in Patrick Mahomes needs to be that leader on the field as opposed to just rely on the coaching staff Andy Reid I think this is where Patrick Mahomes takes that next evolution but in terms of week 10 
in the NFL. I think that it's going to be another rough week. Gus Bradley, he's not going to change up the game plan. He knows what Patrick Mahomes is struggling with. So you know he's going to be more than happy to take advantage of that himself with his Las Vegas Raiders defense. Yeah, and the the interesting thing is that the Kansas City Chiefs are trying to now game plan around their inefficiencies at this point, which is a fascinating evolution because it's hard to develop these things really quickly. I don't know if I spoiled the helmet there, but yeah, I I got the Kansas City Chiefs this week because I keep betting them every damn week. I'm like, this has to be the week. This has to be the week. Last week, I took them with the points against the Packers and they were covering all the way through and then the backdoor cover at the end by Jordan Love just made me upset. But Kansas City against Green Bay, which again, Green Bay is a very specific case, but I I watched that entire game. So I did actually watch the film on this one. So here's how the game started for the Kansas City Chiefs, which is Patrick Mahomes had on the first drive, five completions for 25 yards. In the middle of the second quarter, he was 10 for 13 for 40 yards passing. And then by the time they got to the middle of the third quarter, Mahomes was 14 for 28 for 85 yards which basically means that every time they tried to throw the ball into the secondary, it was an incompletion. And every time they got a completion, it was a check down little pass, which basically means the way they're scheming around this is the only way we can't be beat is by not committing turnovers. And if we're not going to commit turnovers, we're just going to run the ball every time. And when we're not running it, we're going to throw screen passes like the boring Steelers offense. That's not a good place you want to be when you're trying to emulate the Steelers offense, because that's your only way to winning. Now, I think Mahomes is going to have a bunch of passing yards this week because the Raiders do not have an elite secondary like the Green Bay Packers do. The other reason I'm picking the Chiefs is because the Raiders can't be for real. It's just not allowed. The Raiders are not allowed to be legitimately good. I don't think that this Raiders team is really good, but this seems to be a theme of our pod this week, which is outside of we know the Titans are going to win the AFC South. We know the Chiefs are going to make the playoffs. We know Baltimore is good. We know Buffalo's good. Outside of those four teams, who else is is going to get the playoff spots. Is it Cleveland? Is it Cincinnati? Is it the New England Patriots? Is it the Chargers? Is it the Raiders? Are the Colts going to make a late drive in the season? I'd say no to the Colts one, but they're still technically in it. We don't know what it's going to be at this point. There's a lot of teams fighting for middle of the road playoff spots and teams that I think expect to make the playoffs at this point. The Raiders are probably one of them. I think the Raiders are going to like fall off hard coming up here once they start playing some of these AFC West teams. And I think that they're going to lose this game but I don't feel confident in the Chiefs anymore. The Chiefs have legitimate problems that I can see with my own eyes just from watching an entire game. I'm like, oh, this and watching part of the Monday night game against the Giants where I'm like, oh, this is where all of the problems are going to stem. And maybe it takes one play where Patrick Mahomes beats the double high safeties and gets a 50 yard pass to Tyreek Hill in coverage where he does the thing where he throws it 50 yards, but puts it in a six inch window. Maybe it only takes one of those for defenses to start respecting Mahomes that way where they now have to bring themselves up a little bit. Maybe that's all it's going to take, but I think Kansas City is still going to win this game. Their defense has gotten better as the season's gone along, so congratulations to the Chiefs defense. You are no longer one of the worst defensive units in the history of the NFL. You are only a bad defense. Okay, now. well, let's talk about that. Playing Jordan Love and playing Daniel Jones will help that number out uh, tremendously. Yes, this is true. When they play the Baltimore Ravens again, or when they play the Buffalo Bills again, or maybe when they play the Chargers again, I think those they're going to have to start winning those shootouts again, which is a real concern for Kansas City. Like when they get to the playoffs, they are vulnerable against every one of those four teams we mentioned off the top, whether it's the Titans, the Ravens, the Bills, 
you could throw the Chargers in there if you really feel good about the Chargers. But they're vulnerable against all of those teams. They can lose to any one of them and they can beat any one of them, which is, again, a conversation for down the road because when it comes to Kansas City, it's always in the macro because they're always just playing for those four games in the playoffs. At least the last three years, they've been playing for just those playoff games. And that's not necessarily the case this year. They, they have to work out some flaws if they want to get back to even the AFC championship at this point because Baltimore and Buffalo have flaws, but they're not as big of glaring issues that Kansas City has right now. So for this game, roll with the Chiefs uh, because I, I can't do it. I can't I can't abandon my boy Patty, even though he's giving me reason after reason to jump the ship. Like uh, the fact that in the last three games, they have now scored a combined, I think, 36 points. That's averaging 12 a game. That would be the worst in the NFL this season over the last three games. I think the Chiefs still have it in them where it just takes one play for them to change the course of a game. But the fact that the teams are just playing them to limit those opportunities has become one of the biggest detriments to their ability to put up those insane offensive performances. And like I said, this could be just a year in which they grow from it. They have to learn that things don't just come easy. Patrick Mahomes has to learn that you're just not in the AFC Championship game automatically every single season, like it's been throughout the course of his career. That the Patriots dynasty, what happened with the Patriots, that's a rarity in the NFL. And the fact that they're five and four, bless their heart, they're lucky enough to be five and four at this point. They could very easily have been four and five if Aaron Rodgers was healthy in that game. I think that this is just an opportunity for this team to get better. But in this particular instance, believe that the Raiders are a good team. They have the talent on this team. They've just been hit by a flurry of headlines that is hard for any team to fathom in the history of the NFL. I don't think I've seen quite the season like the Raiders have had in the last couple weeks. It's an anomaly, but I I believe in them. I believe that Derek Carr has been one of the best leaders in football this year throughout all this turmoil. And I I think that that's their opportunity to succeed. But all right, well, I guess that's a few more games that we're going to be different on. We got the Raiders and Chiefs. We have the Vikings Vikings and Chargers. Chargers, And we disagreed on the Saints and Titans. So three good games to be disaligned on. I I do need to pick up some ground on you. Yeah, the last week, it's been a struggle. I definitely have Looking on the chin. I just hate that I've been losing all these close games too. That's the part of the problem is I would feel okay almost more if I was getting these blowouts. Like if I was yeah, on the, the Niners wrong side did of a get blowout. blown out by Colt McCoy. The, ni- the Niners did up, get destroyed. <laughs> yes, I, I just mentally, it's hard for me not to see that as a closer game because Everybody's in the back of quarterback, man. Kyle Shanahan. Not even that. Also, no DeAndre Hopkins or A.J. Green or J.J. Watt. You still got dismantled by the Cardinals. Yeah, I saw another tweet out there that Kyle Shanahan is what we thought Cliff Kingsbury was. That's how bad it's starting to get. That's That's a great tweet. Man, I'm telling you, it's been a rough couple weeks here. It's been a rough month in terms of my sports fanhood. Welcome to my last 20 years of deciding to be born in San Diego. We've got the biggest curse now after the Atlanta Braves won the championship and the Falcons apparently blow leads and then come back from I was going to say Cleveland, but the Cavaliers and LeBron, you just got blessed that perhaps the greatest player of all time just happened to be born in your area code. Yeah, but they got the championship. Minnesota's the one who has the case. That's the one who's got the case to match San Diego, but they got the one twins one like 30 years ago. So Minnesota's 
got a good case. You are right in that respect. I've I mean, been through Oakland's this many starting times. to get up there because Who? now you have teams that are leaving them, which I feel if you're Oakland, you can't feel too good about that one. Yeah, but they've only got one team left now. So Arizona's got the Diamondbacks. So there is yeah, that. Wait, wait a minute. Oakland just had the Warriors. Like the uh, Warriors just won. Like, I guess I, I just think of, I associate them with San Francisco now. Yeah, no, they, they won the championship when they were in Oakland. Oh, they, they get the Warriors at least. They get, they get the, the Warriors. Battle. That's true. Chicago. I guess they have the Blackhawks. Yeah, Chicago. The Cubs, well, the Cubs got the 2016. Yeah. I forgot about that one. The White New York's Sox bad. in 2005. Like, New York's pretty bad, but they have so many teams that it'll eventually end up working out. But uh, 2009 Tampa, isn't that far away for the Yankees. Yeah. So that's why I kind of give them that. But they have seven teams and they've won fewer championships than Tampa in the last 20 years. I mean, uh, Tampa is looking like a great city at the moment. I've been to Tampa before. Not a, not a great city, but at the same time, it is. Uh, hey, they, they, they've won sunshine. Shine Beach. Oh, that's true. It was Bush Garden. Went there. Yeah. And a dirty river. And a very, very dirty river. I mean, Dallas, you know, it's been a long time since the Cowboys win. Mavericks got the one, though. The Mavericks like, did get the one. There, I think there's a few of them in here. Buffalo is is one that gets thrown out recently. Uh, the Eagles beat it for Philadelphia. And I think the Flyers got a victory, too. Flyers made the Stanley Cup. I don't know if they won it, but I know they at least made the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. I've been through this a lot as a tormented San Diego person. I looked up. I'm like, yep, yeah, we're we're the new standard. We're now, we're the miserable team. Well, now you piqued my interest, and I'm curious on this one. I think I figured out that it's either Minnesota or us. I think those are the two. I think it's either Minnesota or us being at the top of the list. Yeah, because I can't really think of too many others that just like instantly hit me and think. So Charlotte, Carolina is bad too, but also they get Clemson unofficially. So that's kind of a winner for them, but that's one that's also kind of up there on the list. Cincinnati? Cincinnati's a bad one. Cincinnati's pretty bad. Cincinnati's yeah. had some curses. It's been a very long time since the Reds have done anything. You have no basketball team, and the Bengals haven't won a Super Bowl in their existence. Yeah. I mean, the Detroit, last was 30 years ago. Ah, the Pistons. I forget about the Pistons because they've been Detroit's so bad, bad recently. Too. Again, it's hard to compete with San Diego. We're talking about 60 years here, which the Lions are right there, of course. The Lions match our heartbreak way more. But it's just the, the Pistons. Time. Take, take it away. In fact, the Red Wings actually got a Stanley Cup win in the 2000s, too. So that's another Oh, they one. won like three of them, I think. They, they, yeah, the so Red Wings were those. Crazy. And you've had the Tigers at least make the World Series a couple times. Oh, yeah. Detroit's the worst sports city right now. But in terms of a curse, they don't have like 40 years of torment. Right now, Detroit, yeah, Detroit takes the cake. It doesn't get worse than those four teams that are all the worst in their league. But still, hmm. it, there's a scenario here where if the Lions get the number one pick this year it would be the third different Detroit team to have the number one pick in the last four years uh and that doesn't even count the Detroit Red Wings who have consistently been the worst team in the NHL but they have terrible luck in the lottery so they always finish with like the one or two odds and get like the number five pick in the draft so it's pretty bad to be them now I feel as though I almost want to give it more to Minnesota though just because you mentioned that twins won in the 80s but I mean the Vikings being 
0-4 and the Timberwolves just being awful forever. And the Minnesota Wild being terrible. They have four teams. That's why they have a case. They've got the one championship, but they have four teams. Because, so. you know, your opportunity to fail in San Diego revolves around the Padres and now just the Padres. <laughs> yeah, but no, our curse is a lot darker. It's where like the 1994 championship team has had like 12 players die and all of our sports heroes die and we uh, have teams leave us and cause heartbreak. Our sports curse is more dark than the fun. Ah, we choked a lead. It's like, nah, Tony Gwynn's going to die. Junior Seau's going to die. The 94 team's going to have 12 people die from it. Like ours is more dark than Kevin Towers, <laughs> the GM of the 98 Padres team. He died of cancer a few years ago. Our, our curse is more dark than other sports curses. Yeah, it's like a spooky Halloween type curse at that point. If you talk about all these people dying, RIP Tony Gwynn. All right, guys. Well, that's a morbid note to end this on. But hey, check out us on Slump Buster podcast on ig because we got some funny memes on there break the mood get a little joy and after listening to that darkness yeah uh, go find us laughing at the the atlanta falcons and the exactly. green bay packers or you can see me laugh at the chicago bears too because uh the bears don't have a first round pick this year their season's over uh i will not be discussing the this is a rule that i may apply here but on uh take it easy i will not be discussing the bears seriously for 10 months so you can tell me who the coach is week one of next year and i can make my evaluation then yeah, you can see me laugh at the bears as well. Gosh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> at Slump Buster Pod on Twitter. <laughs> Check that out our cool. partner, CavemanCoffeeCo.com. Yes, CavemanCoffeeCo.com. Promo code Slump. Uh, stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>